Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Caribbean Studies. I'm one of your hosts, Alejandra Bronfman. My guest today is Maria Cristina Fumagalli. She's professor of literature at the University of Essex. She's written and edited numerous books on Caribbean literature, as well as being one of the co-researchers on the project entitled American Tropics. Her new book, On the Edge, Writing the Border Between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, is an archive of literary production, art, and film that locates itself on the fraught border that divides the two nations. The book enters the imagined worlds created by authors and artists, most of the time full of the promise of coexistence, even as they recognize histories of violence and conflict. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today and talking to me about your book. Thank you for inviting me. So before we start talking about the book, I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in the Caribbean and how you became interested in the literary perspective in particular. Um, you know, it's, I know it's unusual because I'm Italian and people always think that I should stick, you know, you should stick to what you know. Um, I think, you know, the Caribbean was presented to me very long, a very long time ago. The first time I had access to the Caribbean was actually in Italy. Uh, funnily enough, when I was working on uh, U.S. literature. And I was lucky because the professor I had at the time was um, somebody who was interested in the literature that was happening in uh, in what was then uh, called emerging literature in Italian. And uh, he came one day with this bunch of photocopies from uh, Another Life, by Derek Walcott, which you know never heard before, it was well before he won the Nobel Prize. Nobody even knew he existed in Italy, and we started reading, and I found that absolutely inspiring and something that I wanted to know to know more and more about. So you know that was one of the things or the vehicles that brought me to the Caribbean. The other thing that was very um, important for me in terms of realizing that the Caribbean was there was making statement. Um, that were, you know, somehow important, uh, also politically, was uh, Bob Marley. You know, at my age, you know, it was it was uh, important to hear those songs and to understand the lyrics and to understand what was going on behind it. So I would say, you know, these two things: one from popular culture and the other one from, uh, you know, somebody who then went, you know, went on and, and got the Nobel Prize were the one that sort of made made my horizon broader and made me realize and understand that there was something beyond, you know, what we were normally taught, which is the literature of Europe or the United States. And so it started from there, I would say. So the book is part of a project uh, called American Tropics. Yes. And I think the aim is to shift the focus of literary analysis from nation to region, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about that project? Yes, um, the project started um, in 2006, and it started at the University of Essex, where you know, the, a group of uh, people who were working there at the time um, 
and the, the person who was uh, the leader of that group, let's say, was Peter Hume, uh, who brought together a group of people and said, okay, let's see if we can rethink uh, the way in which literary history is understood in a region where it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to talk about national or nation boundaries because of the nature of the Caribbean. And uh, so what we started talking about possibilities of things that we would have liked to explore. And um, each of us in decided to, to choose a different uh, place. So while Peter Hume, for example, my colleague Peter Hume went on to choose uh, uh, the Oriente province in Cuba. And this book on the Oriente province in Cuba was the first one that came out uh, on that series. Um, another colleague of mine who is still uh, working on his book, and which is about to be finished, uh, decided to work on the city of New Orleans. Then we had another person who became part of that project, namely Leslie Wiley. And she wrote a book on uh, Colombia's Forgotten Frontier and the Putumayo River. So my book is part of this series, and each of these different uh, books tend to be uh, analyzing a place, a particular place, rather than a nation state. Another book that is uh, about to come out with the same series is something that um, looks at Trinidad, but in, the, in relation with Venezuela and the, in looking at the... the the Latin American uh, part of the world that Trinidad is uh, in touch with. So my book is part of that series. Um, I chose the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic at the time because I realized it was an important site in Caribbean, uh, in the old Caribbean region, but it was a site I didn't know much about. So I thought that was an opportunity to find out something I didn't know. So can we talk about the cover, that wonderful work of art by David Perez Carmadaves? And I want to ask you a little bit more about him, but specifically, why did you choose that cover? I think it does a, it's beautiful. And Oh, yeah. Well, partly because it is beautiful, you know, partly because of that, you know, the lights and uh, I think it works well. But you know, it is it is an important political statement. You know, people can see it a very provocative political statement, especially in uh, in the Dominican Republic. What is interesting about the cover is that you have this uh, profile of the island, which is permanently lit and then the border, which uh, came on and off intermittently. So in the, on the cover, we put the two moments, the moment with and the moment without the border. And you know, one can interpret that in different ways. And I like the fact that I could interpret it in different ways in the book and linked with the ways in which I was approaching the notion of the border in the book. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we are normally taught about borders or the way in which we are uh, socialized into thinking about borders is that they've always been there. There's something natural about them. Mm. Uh, denying the fact that they are there or showing that they have not been there forever, that they are not always uh, there, is a way of approaching the border in a way that I was interested in. Um, you know, the history of the island, the border uh, you know, has been there uh, on and off, but um, before the European powers arrived there, the island was divided differently. Mm -hmm. So this border didn't exist. This border came with colonialism and came a little bit later after the, the island was first uh, colonized by the Spanish. And it was really an act of uh, trespassing uh, by the French that uh, resulted in the division of the island in 1777. Um, 
But that border, the one that we look at now, uh, is uh, is a border which uh, has not always been like this. You know, it has moved around, um, it has uh, shifted in different ways, and it has only been uh, sanctioned in its current uh, form in 1936. They started in 1929, and then the final uh, agreement was signed in 1936. So it is a very, very recent border. And that is, I think, is an important thing to remember in terms of the dynamics of the island. You know, the island is, and now the problems with the border are, are very evident in current politics. But I think it is important to remember that it's a fairly recent uh, thing. <clears throat> the other way that that... Um, the other thing that that uh, particular uh, work of art allowed me to explore was the fact that despite the fact that you know, there are some discourses that want to reinstate the border very, very strongly, uh, the same discourses are strictly linked with the, with the class of people who are very happy to uh, forget about the existence of the border and cross that border in different ways or allow people to cross that border in different ways if that is profitable. So I wanted to look also at the way in which the border can be evoked, but also neglected when it is profitable to do so. And the, the, the image allowed me to explore all these, these different ways in which one can approach that particular border. Yeah, and I think actually that the art, uh, the performance art that you describe at the end of the book, and I know you talk about the, him at the end, but I want to talk about him now because it seems to me that in some ways the art that you describe performs one of the arguments of the book. And so, for example, like the, the, the performance art is so striking. He walks down the street with a tube draining blood from his veins, yeah. or he inhabits a hotel room with a Haitian man for five days, or he sits, I loved this one, he sits in a plaza and he chews through a mound of sugar cane that's yeah. shipped to him from across the border. Yes. <laughs> it just is, it's very, it's brilliant stuff and it does seem to sort of perform what it is that you're, you're trying to argue for. Absolutely. I mean, when I found uh, Carmadavis's work, I thought I found um, a huge uh, inspiration and uh, in a, a huge, um, well, a, a, a numerous examples of how one wants to approach it. And it's very interesting that this is coming from somebody who is uh, a Dominican. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the fact that he allowed me to uh, insist on or dismantle the notion of Dominican, uh, the old Dominicans being somehow implicated in uh, discourses which one want to keep that border there, but also enforce it in uh, in ways which demonize the Asians and declare that there's no connection at all between the Dominican Republic and the, and, and Haiti. In the, the performance that you highlight, the one which has to do with the chewing of the sugar cane, for example, you know, was very useful for me because it's something that uh, goes back really to the history of the island and uh, to the history of the Dominican Republic. Uh, while the Dominican Republic never had or didn't have uh, the same kind of investment in plantations that uh, the French part, Saint-Domingue, uh, the Pearl of the Antilles had, still there was a history of slavery uh, there, which is generally uh, occluded or denied or pushed aside because by occluding uh, a history of slavery, you um, virtually 
uh, eliminate the possibility of Afro-Caribbean uh, of an Afro-Caribbean or African heritage in the Dominican Republic, and we know how important that is uh, in the Dominican Republic. So, in doing that, was uh, really something which denounced what was going on in, in the Dominican Republic and what is still going on in terms of the um, exploitation of Asian braceros who work in the batailles, but also went to the to the root of the problem, which is you know a colonial a colonial problem and the history which has been fabricated by denying uh, certain connections. So I thought that that was very important, and the fact that he chose to do it in front of the Alcazar de Colón mm-hmm. is something that you know he, he wanted he really wanted it to talk to the present. You know, but also to the past of the of the Dominican Republic and of the island as a whole. So I, you know, it, it, all his work gave me the opportunity to look at the problem as you know at the moment in which he was producing this work, but also at the roots, the historical roots of the problem. And because the book wanted to have a trajectory that covered the history of this border and not just what was happening at a specific moment in time, the moment when the book was being written, his work really gave me the, the, the inspiration to do that. Yeah. So um, now I want to go back a little bit more systematically and talk about the the structure of the book. So really, it's an archive of dozens of texts and artworks that somehow engage the border. And in your words, you say that it brings to the fore works which engage with Hispaniola's border and borderland in different ways, but mostly from the perspective of lived experiences. So these are authors and artists who've paid attention to place. And so my sense of the book, it's it both an archive and a kind of series of excursions to the border from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I was struck actually by the relative paucity of histories, historians who really deal with the region. Um, and I and I was surprised at the sheer number of texts. There are a lot of texts that you engage in here and there's been a production. And it's not just recently, you trace it back all the way back to the maybe even the 16th century, but certainly starting in the 18th century. And so I'm, I'm wondering, first of all, did the, did the number of texts surprise you? Were, did, were you expecting to find so many works that really engaged the border? Not at all. You know, I, I, as I said, I started off because it was something I didn't know much about. So I, I, I'm in it, which was, um, I think, uh, you know, in retrospect was useful because I was not an expert in Dominican literature and I was not an expert in Asian literature. So I had to look at this. Really, I had to take in the Asian and the Dominican at the same time. You know, I didn't, I didn't come with a prior knowledge or a more solid knowledge of one side of the island than the other. I came with uh, very little knowledge of both. So I had to uh, approach this, you know, from, you know, with fresh eyes, but, uh, you know, with a perspective that was an insular perspective with, with, the, with fresh eyes. But I certainly didn't expect it to be to become so long and they didn't expect to find so many tests the people I spoke to um, especially at the beginning of the project when I was talking about what I had in, in mind to do most of the people uh, that I spoke to uh, didn't sound particularly optimistic in terms of, of the possibility of finding a lot of tests uh, that would deal with the problem particularly Asian tests that would deal with the specific uh, topic and in fact when I prepared my uh, proposal for the book series, um, you know, I had to put down a, an estimate number of words, and my estimate was eighty thousand. And I thought I was being optimistic. You know, by the end, by the end of the of the process, uh, I found myself with I think um, I think um, more more than more than the double. 
you know, more than the double. And there are still things that, um, you know, I think should have been there or could have been there, but, you know, they, it could, you know I didn't want to do two volumes, you know, and I've, so I've tried to uh, select things that allowed me to say specific thing or important thing. I tried not to say things that repeated uh, certain things too much, for example. But yes, I was definitely surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, but surprised. Yeah, I think it really works as a kind of, I mean, there's lots about the text in there, but just as an archive, uh, as a collection, it's really marvelous. So the Thank book, you. um, <laughs> you're welcome. So the book, uh, is organized as a kind of series of, around a series of moments, right? Yes. So, and sort of revisited from the perspective of the border. So you have the 1791 slave revolt and the subsequent wars, which became the, you know, the, the Haitian Revolution. Yes. There's chapters on the 1937 massacre and the earthquake, and then those are the major markers. And then in addition, there's chapters on the role of indigeneity and national narratives, and I mm-hmm. thought that one was particularly interesting. And then also the kind of 20th and 20- 21st century issues, including things like environmental degradation, labor and migration, all of those. Um, I don't know if there's any that I missed, but I'm wondering if those suggested themselves naturally to the literature and the fiction and the film because you deal in different media mm-hmm. which I also thought was um, a lovely way to do it did they cluster around those themes kind of naturally did they did they suggest themselves to, to sort of fall into place that way but there was in it <clears throat> clearly um, from the start you know 1937 uh, I knew 1937 was going to play a part mm-hmm. a, a big part in the book and also the the revolt 1791 revolt uh, the Asian revolution again there I cut it down a lot of there's a lot of tests that deal with the with the with the Asian revolution I cut it I decided to cut it down to the 1791 revolt and test which had to do with that uh, one because the the Asian revolution had been looked at um, already a lot over and over again, but because I really wanted to underline the function of the border uh, and the way in which writers uh, were rethinking uh, the border when they were writing about the 1791 revolt. so these two things I knew were going to be there, uh, but uh, you know, the, so the 1937 became. Um, or things dealing with 1937 became uh, a lot more than one chapter. I would say that you know three chapters, mm-hmm. uh, if not four, you know almost four, deal with that. You know the, the before, just before the, the the massacre, what was going on before the massacre, the massacre itself, and then just after the massacre, with the Dominicanization of the frontier, with the relocation of Asians on the other side. Um, so it took um, a huge amount of space. Uh, what surprised me about the test and what I liked about the test that, that, that I found uh, is that it allowed me to tell a story which was not the story that I initially probably expected I was going to tell. Uh-huh. Uh, when you when you think about the 1937 massacre, for example, you know the 1937 massacre, like the um, unification of the island 1822 to 1844. These are those moments in the history of the island, which are the moments of conflict. The moments of the, you know, moments of bloodshed. The moment when you know you could say you have one uh, nation, the two nations at each other's throat, if you want to use that. Uh, what I found um, interesting about the tests which I looked at uh, in the chapters which deal with 1937, the aftermath, the, the the massacre itself, and things that were were going on before the massacre, was that they allowed me to instead highlight. Uh, 
a different kind of uh, connection between the two sides of the border and you know and things that were going on in the borderland itself which in a story of uh, exchange a story of communality a story of solidarity a story of uh, travels you know even even those tests you know that talk about the way of life in the borderland just before the border, you know, the way in which people moved, uh, people who lived on the borderland on the Dominican side, I thought it was really interesting, uh, found uh, Port-au-Prince or Capuchin as the places where they would go if they wanted a rural, uh, an urban experience as opposed to the rural experience that they were living. Those were the cities they were looking at uh, and they wanted to uh, to be part of. And they described Port-au-Prince as a much more vibrant city than Santo Domingo was at the time. You know, so they also allowed me to tell the story or to point out that Haiti, which is now always referred to as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, which it uh, it certainly is, but at the time, at that particular time, it was not the poorest part of the island, or it was not uh, the the most uh, destitute part of the island, the vibrant city of Port-au-Prince uh, was, was a case in point. People who wanted to buy sophisticated things or wanted to have you know, a couple of days in a sophisticated, sophisticated cities from the borderland of the Dominican Republic would travel to Port-au-Prince, also because traveling there was easier than traveling to Santo Domingo. So I, you know, it allowed me to tell a story which went a little bit against the grain, you know, while telling the story of the massacre, which is a story that you know, needs to be told and has been told uh, lately uh, more and more. It also allowed me to uh, point out a different ways of approaching that, which is the one that uh, brings to the fore the, the interaction that were there in the borderland at the time. And it might give us a sense of what the massacre was trying to target uh, specifically at the time. Yeah, that was my sense of the book, really, and it was one of the questions that I was going to ask, so I'm glad you answered it. <laughs> um, both, um, I really liked the way that many of the texts really pointed to those kinds of differences between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, in which Haiti is not the poorer cousin, but in fact is the more prosperous and more vital one. Um, and then also the ways in which those texts really could be described as demonstrating the ways that the border was a kind of generative place rather than a kind of hostile and closed place. Though there were some exceptions, and I wonder if you can talk about some of those exceptions where you still see the, the kind of anti-Haitianism or anti-Dominican narratives driving driving the text. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, in the book, I don't think the book wants to deny the fact that uh, there are powerful discourses now that are still reiterating, repeating, rehearsing, you know, thing, you know uh, things that we have, uh, that one becomes acquainted with. If you read um, Dominican uh, text coming out of specific time by specific authors, you will always get, uh, you know, some sort of uh, repetition of very uh, distressing or depressing or uh, really uh, disabling discourses. I think I've, I've tried to limit the number of those as mm-hmm. much as possible, uh, not as an act of censorship, but uh, mainly as an act. Um, it's not because I wanted to tell a specific story, but because the story that 
is based on solidarity, collaborative linkages, uh, highlights the sort of transnational and uh, and uh, ethos really that uh, is there and you, know, you found in the work of Kramadabis uh, now. You know, I wanted to highlight the fact that one, they've been there for a long, long time, and uh, and also I wanted to uh, not tell it, you know, show that they're not tell. A different story, but show that there is a different story to tell. So it, it's not just me putting a spin on a number of tests. It was me saying, okay, this is a story which has not really been told uh, in the ways in which it should have been told, probably. And I wanted to highlight that. You know, I have minimized. Uh, I clearly have to refer to those works because they are there and they and they are still part of. Uh, the discourses which are now having the effect that they have on the political and social and um, uh, scenario in the island. But um, my decision to minimize them is that you know, th- there's a lot of that already going on. There's no, a lot of that that's been recorded, that's been documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are talking about those discourses. But there are these other discourses which are not uh, as, um, as, uh, which are as powerful, I would say, but they, are not, uh, they, they haven't received enough attention. And they tell us a different story about the island and about the two sides of the island that they wanted to, uh, to highlight. So that is why you know, that there are some examples, but not many. The examples I've chosen are mainly uh, examples that one could say go against the grain, but from what I found, they don't really go against the grain. There is a different grain. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> there is a different grain, you know, and it needs to be brought to the fore. Yeah. So you you look at some very well-known authors, uh, but in a different way, which is really interesting. Moreau de Mary, Edwidge Dantica, mm. Juno Diaz, there's lots of others. So I'm wondering if there's some that you feel like you discovered that you wanted people to know about, some lesser-known authors that really that really struck you. Oh, you know, the, one of the, the 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 writers I really, really, you know, found inspiring uh, is uh, Manuel Rueda. I am not the discoverer of Manuel Rueda. He's very well known in the Dominican Republic. He's a great poet. But, you know, sadly, I don't think it has been translated into English. So I don't think it has uh, received enough attention. Um, uh, there's a book, a particular book, um, in, I, I mentioned he's a poet, and uh, Las Metamorphosis de Macandal is, is a very interesting and important poet. But um, there's a book, Bienvenida y la Noche, Chronicles de Monte Cristi, which I think is a beautiful book, and it's a prose book when he remembers how uh, his uh, grandmother had to uh, basically lend her house uh, to Trujillo when Trujillo got married in Monte Cristi with his uh, wife Bienvenida Ricardo. Uh, he couldn't marry her in a church because that was his second marriage. He was divorced, so they, it was impossible to do it in a church, and he couldn't use um, the Club del Comercio in Monte Cristi, which at the time was a, a very important venue, because I think the people of Monte Cristi were not so keen on Trujillo at the time, was not the president yet, but it was, you know, quickly uh, rising through the hierarchical uh, structure. And uh, I think that, you know, that test, you know, with this attempt to remember what happened and how, you know, what happened to the house, how the house was being transformed by this wedding, what happened the moment of the wedding, the kind of personality that Trujillo displayed even at the time and, the, you know, the, and the, um, 
diffidence, I think, with which he retrospectively recognizes his grandmother uh, behavior towards Trujillo. I think that is a very, very interesting test um, you know, from, from a number of, uh, of, uh, of points, you know, from a historical perspective. It's very well written, it's very well crafted, and I think that is a test that you know, I would be very happy to see translated. Partly because you know, some of these uh, tests I would really like to be able to teach to my students, who are most of the time uh, monolingual, being British, is, is, is something that uh, they, they share, and they don't read, you know, in, uh, or cannot read in different languages. And that's definitely a test that I would like to, to show. So uh, Manuel Rueda is certainly, uh, in terms of quality, uh, a very important writer, and it would be wonderful if he could be translated into into English. But there's, you know, there's many, there's there's many more, you know, that have been translated, for example, and uh, the translations have been lost or they are no longer available. Um, Kenza Borowe from uh, from Japan, uh, the book, the particular book that I'm looking up, because it has a brief mention of uh, the Japanese migration to the Dominican Republic, uh, doesn't exist in English. So I had to use a Spanish translation. That's another book that it would be very nice to see in English. And then there are those, you know, smaller books, if you want to call them, you know, people talking about their own particular experience. Uh, Sergio Reyes, Cuento y Leyendas de la Frontera, uh, Jesus Maria Ramirez, Mis 43 años en la descubierta, uh, in a, where the re, really the way of life, the borderland, is, uh, is explored from a very personal perspective, somebody who actually was there and lived through those uh, moments and again those would be books that I would like to be translated into English so in a, I don't think I've discovered them I think that uh, people know about them but um, they they haven't reached uh, popularity because uh, they either have run out of print or uh, they've not been translated into English so in a, it would be really good it'd be good if uh, the book brings them to the fore again and they are translated and reach more popularity That'd be yeah. good I was just gonna say I hope some book editors are listening to this interview so that they get yes. some ideas <laughs> yes yes that would be great so um i see the book and we talked about this a little bit earlier i see the book as a kind of uh performative gesture it's an intercultural archive and it kind of enacts the thing that you're describing it enacts a kind of fluidity of the border and it, it enacts a kind of vitality and energy that's of the place it comes from the place and i wonder if that's how is is that how you imagined the book is that how you what you meant it to do i think i think um, it, it became more and more clear to me that that was the way in which i wanted to write it when i was looking at these particular works um and in it, the book now has got a trajectory and uh, is going in some sort of a chronological order but the the works that came to me came to me in a sort of in a disorderly fashion initially and then i had to put them in an order but again you know uh, it was interesting to have them in a disorderly fashion because it allowed me to see the connections and to see the sort of uh, energy that you are describing um in a spread uh, spread out in in uh, in uh, throughout the time in a more um direct way, simply by coming across them you know, in, in that way. So I thought, you know, the book has to be part of this. If this, all these tests that I'm looking at, or the majority of the tests I'm looking at, are trying to bring to the fore 
ways in which the island can be rethought or the border can be rethought or the borderland can be rethought, then, you know, the same kind of energy has to be the one that governs uh, the book itself. You know, the book itself has to participate and be part of uh, this attempt to present the borderland in a different way. But it was the inspiration of the test, mainly, that guided me uh, towards that uh, um, kind of structure, I think, yes. Yeah, I think that really comes through in the in the reading. That's one of the things that kind of draws you in and, and keeps you keeps you turning the pages. So uh, we've taken up a lot of your time, or I've taken up a lot of your time. And just one last question: I'm wondering uh, what's next for the project American Tropics and for your own research. <clears throat> Well, as I said, in it we have another book uh, coming out, and uh, I hope that there are a lot of people listening because we would like uh, the series to continue. We also published a collection of essays, which came out of a um, conference we held in Texas, which is entitled "Surveying the American Tropics." But we would like the project to continue. We have um, received a number of um, um, applications for books that would be part uh, or could be part of the American series project. So if anyone out there is working on a particular place in the American tropics uh, and they would like uh, a place for their book uh, or a place where their book could be uh, could become part of and uh, add themselves to the, to the series, we would be very happy uh, to receive their proposals. Wonderful. And your <laughs> own research? Uh, yeah, well, my own research uh, I've now been given uh, a it's called the uh, Liberium Major Research Fellowship, and uh, my next project is completely different from this. But I will, I will, uh, I will carry on working on uh, the Dominican Republic and Haiti because uh, it's a never-ending project. You know, it's something that carries on. The, the, the situation there carries on being difficult, and one feels the need uh, and the, the duty to carry on working on that. But the project that I have been receiving funding for is a completely different thing. It's called Derek Walcott's Painters and looks at Derek Walcott's um, engagement with the visual arts. He is a painter himself. He talks a lot about paintings in his uh, in his poems, in his essays, in his in all his writing, in his plays. And they want to look at the way in which uh, this uh, cross pollination between the visual art and the writing uh, is is structured in his work. That sounds fascinating. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so we'll we'll look forward to both new uh, American Tropics books in the American Tropics series and your own work. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alejandra. Thanks for listening to New Books in Caribbean Studies. I'm Alejandra Bronschman, and I hope you can join me next time.